0: Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, this is former Pro Bowl center for the Buffalo Bills, Eric Wood, and you're listening to Nate and the Fellas on the Circling the Wagons podcast on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Go, Bills. Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps,
1: and insightful fan discussion. Most times. Here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hey, Bills Mafia. Welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Nate. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We are joined by Buffalo Rumblings staff writer Sean Murphy. You know him from the 90 players in 90 days. Now, uh, This episode is broken up into two separate episodes because we talked for about two hours. Uh, the first part, we're going to discuss some positional previews, uh, some uh, the thoughts on the offensive line, and then we're going to start into the defense and middle linebacker. But before we do that, before I introduce Sean, I want to let you know this episode is brought to you by the Twin Spires Sportsbook at DeLago. If you are in the Western New York or Central New York area, do yourselves a favor. Check out the TwinSpire Sportsbook at the DeLago Resort and Casino. You will not regret it. Now, before this episode starts with Sean Murphy of BuffaloRealmics.com, I wanted to let you guys know that we did a really fun episode this past Monday about Damar Hamlin and the ESPYs, about uh, DeAndre Hopkins deciding on going to the Tennessee Titans, and a lot of other Bills items. So, like, 90% of it was Bills items, but... I would 100% recommend you check out that episode for the fact that we got off to some organic topics, including the My Buddy doll from when we were kids. And uh, if you listen to the first five minutes and you listen to the last five minutes of that episode, it's probably one of the best, funniest episodes we've ever had. Now, we've probably done, geez, I don't know, three or four hundred episodes at this point, and this was by far one of our favorite episodes, and we've got a ton of great feedback from you guys. So I would 100% recommend just at least the first five minutes and the last five minutes of listening to it because it is uh, pure comedic gold, and you'll see why um, if you listen to it. But now, without further ado... Sean Murphy of Buffalo Rumblings.com. Hey, Bills Mafia. Welcome to another episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Nate. Thank you guys so much for joining us. We have a special guest, one of my favorite guests, one of my favorite recurring guests to have on the podcast, and that is Buffalo Rumblings staff writer. Sean Murphy. Sean, you're writing the articles for 90 players for 90 days, which always ends up being like over 100 players (laughs) in total. How are you doing, man?
2: I'm doing great, Nate. I'm glad to be back. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm so glad we could do this. Last time you and I talked, I'm going to get right into this one topic because it was specific to the last time we talked, which was before free agency, which was much earlier than the draft. And you pointed out a certain player That you would like to see on the roster And I kind of like read about him in mock drafts And then you brought him up And I'm like, dude, this this could be a really good player For the Buffalo Bills And that's uh, Florida guard Osiris Torrance Who the Bills selected in the second round now, when you and I talked about it, you were like, wouldn't it be cool to get him in the first round? And at the time, I was like, they didn't—they hadn't even signed Connor McGovern or anything like that. They haven't even bolstered their interior offensive line. They hadn't signed David Edwards. Like, this was like, you know, yeah, I would love some help on the interior. I think that could be tremendous. Not only do they sign all these guys in free agency, some really good starter and depth level talent on in the interior, they drafted Osiris Torrance, not even in the first round, which I would have taken, which he was the most mocked player to the Buffalo Bills in the first round. They, they were able to get him in the second round. Just from that standpoint, I know you loved him then. How happy were you when the Buffalo Bills took him uh, in the second round?
2: Oh, I, I was punching air at that point. I, I was really excited. I'm sitting on the couch and, and I'm looking at it and I'm like, oh man, he's still there. He's still there. And my wife is like, who is still there? And I'm like, the guy I wanted him to draft in the first round. He's here in the second round. Now I'm, I'm going to like throw this out into the universe just to, um, just to, to maybe do the reverse jinx on it. Because the last time I wanted Buffalo to draft an offensive lineman in the first round and he fell to the second round and they picked him and I was excited was when they took Cody Ford in the second round so this will show you how much I actually know about the draft um, I think that this is a little bit different because Torrance isn't a uh, he's not an inside slash outside guy he's your your stereotype if you looked up road grader in the d- in the dictionary for the for the football usage that guy is who would show up and does he start this year who knows maybe not I'd almost say probably not um, but if he does okay then you get a little bit of extra beef up front. Um, and I, I think it's a really solid investment, and you can't have too many good people up front to protect the $258 million investment that they made in a top three quarterback in the league. And I got news for you, he ain't three. I don't care what everybody else says. Um and what should be a good running game too. So when I saw that they drafted Torrance, I I was really hyped. My, my mission this offseason for Buffalo was add fat guys. Give me some big, angry dudes up front. And that's why on the offensive line, Torrance, biggest ad in my ad. And on the defensive line, Puna Ford, huge. Like to go ahead and get a couple extra big, beefy dudes in the middle. Cause I, I think that a lot of us saw it. They got pushed around once in a while up front on both sides of the ball. And and it wasn't an all-the-time thing, but it happened enough where I think that that you saw Bean uh, knowing that he had to add there. So Torrance adding depth to that offensive line. And you, you said it with David Edwards, uh, Connor McGovern. Those are two guys with a lot of experience. You've still got Ryan Bates. Ike Butker comes back fully healthy. Um and then you've got Morse in the middle, who I have long thought to be, uh, with apologies to Dion Dawkins, and that suit that he wore yesterday, and that is suit with a capital S uh, to the SB. The skin suit? Woo, baby, that was something else. That was, uh, yeah, I, I showed a, a picture of that one to my son, and he goes, why isn't he wearing this shirt? <laughs> and I said, I, I think that when you're, when you're Dion Dawkins, you can wear whatever you want to wear, man. That's, that's how that goes. But with apologies to Dawkins, I, I have long thought that Morse is the most important guy up front as, uh, as the dude who gets the reads and helps Josh out and, and settles him down. Um, but but I, I think that that middle of the offensive line, which we, we could say was, was a weakness, Last year has has now become a strength, at least on paper. Knock on wood.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking the same thing. I mean, I've I've been kind of pounding on the table for interior offensive line depth and starters for the last few years and we've kind of just been like patching our way through it mm-hmm. here's roger saffold and then like you know no one really behind him right like or here's cody ford let's hope he turns up and then if he doesn't you know we'll have to start someone behind it, it this was the first time where like they made a conscious effort to really not only like it better like I, you were just mentioning mitch morris like i love mitch morris if when he went down last season and they put ryan bates in like ryan bates is 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 like a good backup center but he's not better than mitch morris and then so not only are you have a less a lesser center but then you also have a worse guard in his place taking over for him because of the depth like there's a possibility this season that ryan bates may not even start Uh, yeah and so like and you're talking about him being like the best backup center and then like a guy at guard that might be better than how he was last season like that's that's it's scary to think that you don't want much more to get injured obviously but it's exciting to think about how deep this team could potentially be yeah and
2: and Bates is good too And, and the thing that scared me and maybe they obviously the coaching staff knows more than than we do but sometimes I was confused when when like I'd look and I'd say oh Bates must be moving to center and then we'd go nope that is Greg Van Roten playing center what is happening right now Uh, so I don't think we have that guy on the offensive line where it's like what exactly do you do here who is who's kind of sticking around um I wonder too how much drafting a guy like Torrance and knowing how versatile someone like Bates is if this isn't not I there, I've seen people suggest that perhaps Morse could be, uh, a cap casualty, uh, as early as this year. And I, I don't think that's going to happen this year, but I wouldn't be terribly surprised if next year they may think about moving on playing Bates at center. Uh, and then you go with a guard combo of McGovern and, uh, and Torrance moving forward. So at, at worst, it gives you some insurance. For somebody like Morse, who has dealt with a lot of concussion issues, who's getting a little bit older, and I do always feel funny saying that, given that I am a f- quite a few years older than Mitch Morse, uh, but but it's um, it's it's one of those deals where I think that Brandon Bean has built the inside this year, and it wouldn't surprise me if he does something very similar to the outside with the tackles next year.
1: Yeah, that's. I'm glad you kind of went into this because we just went into talking about you know the interior of the offensive line and how deep it's been. I, I it's funny that you mentioned the Mitch Morse thing because I kind of mentioned that on the post draft podcast as well. Like, hey, long term, because you kind of want to think about all these, uh, all these you know, these players and how they could affect positions in the future. And we always know that Mitch Morris is potentially kept casualty just because he's one of the highest paid centers in the National Football League. Right. So you can't not think that. And the fact that he does have a concussion history, but he's still, you know, one of the best centers that we've probably had since Eric Wood. Oh, he's outstanding. Right? Like he was outstanding. So so like I don't I'm not I don't want to wish him away, but like you never know. I mean his next concussion could be his last and that could be in training camp or that could never happen. Ever. Right. We we just don't know. And he even admits it himself. I've heard him, you know, mention in an interview. I think it might have been on uh, Pat McAfee, you know, his concussion history. So he's well aware of it, of course, um, uh, publicly. Uh, but yeah, let's get into the to the tackle depth. And one of the things that scares me the most, I think, uh, besides you know, I, I like you said, Dan Dawkins, probably my second favorite. Offensive lineman, mm-hmm. along with Mitch Morris, um, as long as he bounces back from kind of like a down season last season, I think you know he's another linchpin in this offensive line. What scares me, though, and we did a we did a podcast where we said you know who is the most important person on this on this roster past Allen and Diggs because when the Diggs drama happened, we said to ourselves. You know this is important because he is literally the second most important player on this team. Like, do you think that the Bills make the Super Bowl if they don't have one of the best wide receivers in the NFL? No, possibly not. Yeah, right. So I'm like, okay, well, who's the next one? What? Who's the next player on the entire team that you would look at and say if that person goes down, like we're in big trouble? And the first person, the person that we eventually landed on was Dion Dawkins, because what scares me is not so much about how good Dion Dawkins is because he is you know, a very good player, but it's that the depth behind him is super scary because I don't know if I really trust Spencer Brown at right tackle yet, Right. so I don't want to move him over to left tackle Mm -hmm. where it's even more of a liability, where he could be even more of a liability. Um, That just scares me, and I think that has to do with the tackle depth. I mean, when you look at that group, I mean, do you kind of view it the same way? As you know, it's probably one of the thinnest areas on the roster.
2: I the the tackle group to me is either a, a, a number two in the most concerning, or it's one B to one A to uh, to the linebacker group. Um, but I, I if Dawkins goes down, they legitimately do not have another person who is a, a qualified NFL left tackle. Um, Quest David Questenberry played there. A little bit last year and it was not good I I don't think there was anything and now granted I was killing him when they were playing the Patriots and he hurt himself early on and gutted through an ankle injury all right he still didn't play very well and also if you go back and look at when Allen's elbow injury occurred who was the right tackle that got blown away when he got hurt it was Questenberry so if that's your first guy off the bench not good. So what do they do? They go out and they sign Brandon Shell, who's an upgrade to Questenberry. However, he is also, he's really a right tackle who can kind of play left tackle a little bit. He filled in at left tackle a bit last year with Miami, uh, but the left tackle position for a left-handed quarterback isn't necessarily as difficult as it would be for a right-handed quarterback, because at least that QB can see it coming if you pull one of those Olay blocks. If you pull one of the the lookout block, is it was what I was looking for. But if Shell has to get into the lineup, then is that giving up on Brown? Has Brown failed? We really have a lot riding on a, a, a project right tackle out there. Because after the four people that we just talked about, I think the other tackles on the roster are Ryan Vandemark Alec Anderson, Richard Garage, and there's another guy, and I'll be damned if I can remember who it is off the top of my head, and that's not good.
1: <laughs> it gets really scary. Do you just named three more people that I didn't even know were on the roster? <laughs> I was like, I was like, I know Questenberry, I know Brandon Shell, I know I know Dawkins and Brown, and I was like, after that, it's just that's why I'm glad I have you on. Sean. It's, yeah, it's, it's,
2: it's dude, it's it's tough after that because like some of these guys, they. they And somebody, one of the commenters, uh, I I want to say, and I'm sorry if I'm attributing it to the wrong guy. I want to say it was, it might have been Mighty Oak, at who always like my whoever Mighty Oak is in real life. Mighty Oak knows what they're talking about, and they they had written that like there is a dearth of of quality offensive linemen, essentially, And, and what happens with Buffalo and what Brandon Bean does a really good job of is picking guys that at least have experience so that you can say, okay, we know what this guy is. We know that Brandon Shell can fill in if need be. We know that David Questenberry can fill in if need be. And then we have a couple of project dudes on the back end who, all right, they've got athletic traits. And let's see, it's Tommy Doyle. Shoot, that's who the other freaking tackle is. Okay, like random neuron fire. But they had him cross-training a guard because they didn't think that they could put him out of tackle, would be my assumption. Anyway, there'd be no reason to cross-train the guy if they thought that he were a good tackle. If they thought he were good enough to play tackle, they would just stick him at tackle the whole damn time. But you have all of these projects in there, and, and what he was trying to say, and, and what I'm trying to say with this is that you've got all of these question marks, but it's not necessarily unique to Buffalo. Like this is a, an NFL wide issue. Offensive line play all along the league. I guarantee you, if you polled the fans of all 32 franchises, most of them would be like, nope, our offensive line sucks. And the reality is that not all of the offensive lines are terrible, but we perceive it and we see because those guys are out on an island. Every time that Spencer Brown gets beat, Josh Allen's getting his head knocked off. So like that's, that's a pretty obvious thing to have happen. Every time that Deion Dawkins is one-on-one against a guy like T.J. Watt, yeah, he could be successful 70% of the time, but on those 30%, Watt might end up with two sacks and a forced fumble, and it completely changes the course of the game, similar to a corner who's in one-on-one coverage. You're out there on an island. So these guys, we're holding them to a very high standard, but it's it's terrifying, the depth behind them. I mean, I, I think that people might accuse me of being a little alarmist on that, but you said it. I mean, if Dawkins goes down, who do you feel comfortable having play left tackle on this roster other than Dawkins? Absolutely none. Yeah, exactly. Like it's You're looking at max protect. Like You have to hold a tight end over on that side and also keep a back end, to chip, and that eliminates what Buffalo's running backs do well. At least two of the three of them who we envision will be big parts of the offense, which is catch the ball. And neither Dawkins nor Dalton Kincaid nor Quentin Morris has blocking as their top thing on the resume. So I, I think that... It's it's really imperative that Dawkins stays healthy.
1: Yeah, what I'm glad about is that it's it's definitely scary if if either of the tackles and and I want to ask you in a minute who you think is going to start between Spencer Brown and uh, Brandon Shell at right tackle, but. Uh, what's good about that is if the bills have truly solidified the interior of their offensive line, the idea is that hopefully he'll be able to step up for once instead of you know I mean we've all seen the 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 clips of Roger Saffold just like <laughs> being a turnstile yes. to whoever it was I think I can't even remember what game it was. Where it was the Bengals game, I think, and he was just like it was like he barely got up from you know the snap, and there was already a guy in Josh Allen's face, and he was having to run for his life. The hope is that with the interior offensive line, at least, you know that 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 stuff won't happen as often as it as it did. I mean this 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 offensive line, I wouldn't say I'd say is okay. Like, I, it's not terrible, like a lot of people would say, like just in general, like you were saying for the National Football League, I'd say it's slightly above average, but I think it's mostly because of Josh Allen. I think he makes that line look so much better than they truly are. I think they're good i don't think they're great and i'm hoping that all these additions will move that up into that level where you saw you know how good the eagles were how good the chiefs were in the super bowl with you know such good offensive lines to to stifle those uh those pass rushes that both teams had really good pass rushes too so um right tackle gonna ask you do you think it's it's spencer brown i mean it's his, it's his job to lose going into training camp in just less than a month?
2: I do, yeah, and I, I think that that's partially because I imagine that that's what the staff wants, is that the guy that they drafted and have developed uh, would develop into the starter that they envisioned him being. So I think part of I, I, barring something crazy, I think he's going to at least begin the season as the right tackle. Um, and we have, to the staff's credit, seen them reverse course on guys early uh, if it doesn't work out. I remember uh, Quentin Spain, when, they, when he was a guard here a few years ago, and they, he had a good year. And then they assi- they signed him to an extension, and he didn't play as well as they liked. And then they benched him, and then they released him. And that was all within the first month and a half of the season. So I think that Brown is probably going to get the beginning. And last year he was coming off a back injury. He didn't have the offseason in full. Um, and, and this year he has obviously been healthy and he's had the opportunity to do uh, the prep work that he didn't have the chance to do coming into last year. So hopefully all of that combined with them signing a, a solid veteran out there. And, and nobody's going to convince or confuse Brandon Shell with, with Art Shell with his great uncle. So that's, that's not going to ever be something that happens. But Brandon Shell is a quality enough depth piece where if you look at him as being better than Quessenberry and Bobby Hart, then that's really where he should slot in. If he's better than Spencer Brown, the offensive line has a problem.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, this is going to be a, a position, you know. I I, I had your uh, your co well, not co staff writer, but another staff writer from BuffaloRumblings.com, dot uh, Max Owens, on mm-hmm. after the draft, and you know, just kind of asked him in general, like, you know, where do you see the biggest needs after the draft? Because we've done free agency, we've done the draft. And he's like right tackle. At first, he said defensive tackle, but the Bills have added, you know, some some solid depth since the draft. Yeah, but um, which I'm going to ask you about in a minute, but. Uh, I he was just like right tackle. He's like it, it, his issues that he saw with with Spencer Brown, which is interesting because someone like me doesn't watch film from time you know from play to play. Right, uh, and I've just read about it is that Spencer Brown's issues are not. It's like he has the athleticism. He has an a mate. What was he a ten and an RAS score right? right relative athletic score. So it's not a matter of not being uh, athletic enough. It's just his. I want to say the way that he plays in the the National Football League for a right tackle isn't good enough to sustain players like Matthew Judon or, like you said, T.J. Watt. Like those guys are going to be. Like he was saying that, you know, he'd watch a six foot eight, you know, three hundred thirty pound Spencer Brown get thrown to the ground on a play where he's like, you shouldn't be in the dirt from just like a strength move. Like you are strong. It's not a strength issue, like it's a technique issue. Right. You know, so like <clears throat> those are the things I'm hoping he works on. But yeah, that's that's scary for me. I want to get to middle linebacker though before we get to defensive tackle. Because <clears throat> you mentioned how the depth at tackle scares you, but the middle linebacker is an interesting position for the Buffalo Bills. How do you see this shaking out? Because we literally just did a podcast about the middle linebacker and the position, and how we think it's going to end up. We had a, f- a several different views on it, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on how you see it shaking out, and, and your thoughts on the players in general.
2: Yeah, I can't get a handle on it right now, honestly, because it's something that is it's going to be something that is different than what it's been. Because I I think that they they very clearly didn't want to replace Tremaine Edmonds with a Tremaine Edmonds type, if that makes sense. And I think that they they like what Edmonds did well, but there were things that Edmonds didn't do well that if you listen to comments from their their linebackers coach there and from from Brandon Bean in general, it, it seems that they were cognizant of the things that he didn't do well which I, I think they may have wanted to, or they may be interested in trying to find somebody who's a bit more physical. Um, they may want to see somebody um, who plays a little bit more downhill. Um, and I wonder, too, if they're going to take some of the responsibilities off of the position, too. Because Edmonds was constantly playing. It's so funny, and this is a little sidebar here, but if you think about Guys who have played middle linebacker for the Buffalo Bills. A thing that I constantly hear, like when you'll note how many tackles they make. And there's always a chorus of fans who'll sit there and go, oh yeah, well they're only tackling guys eight yards down the field. And guys said it about Edmonds. They said it about Paul Puslesny. They said it about London Fletcher when he was here too. And it's funny that it's like the London Fletcher thing. And I swear I'm going to get to a point with this. But like I, I wrote, the the ninety and ninety on Dorian Williams already, and I wrote something that I thought was fairly innocuous, which was that Williams at five eleven and two hundred twenty eight pounds is a tad undersized for being an NFL middle linebacker, and he might not be five eleven. I might be messing that up. He might be six foot. He might be six one. But he's he's in that window where he's not a big boy, and the the scouting community. Has in general expressed worry about his ability to fight through blocks because of his lack of overall size, and I got absolutely murdered for it in the comment section. And there were got like the Dorian Williams fan club basically came out, and I'm like, I'm just reading scouting reports on this guy and looking at him and going, "Damn, he's he's a little smaller than a lot of the middle linebackers are." And most of the scouts, Zierlein, Reuter, like a lot of these dudes are like, I'm worried about his functional strength because he seems to get lost in blocks and he can't shed blocks. Who does that sound like to you? Sounds a lot like Tremaine Edmonds (laughs) and a lot of the issues that we had there. But we've also watched Tyrell Dodson fill in for Edmonds and then watched the entire pass defense fall apart because he can't handle it. We've also watched A.J. Klein step in there and take two steps forward and three steps back. Uh, So I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know if they're going to try to Frankenstein it between those three guys. Uh, They signed Traven Howard as kind of like a a lottery ticket. He also, you want to talk about undersized, he's like 6'1 or 6'2, and I think they listed him at 215 for a linebacker. So that guy is your, your dime linebacker, maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, but but they have a group of guys next to Matt Milano who I, I don't know what they're going to do, but they're not going to be able to do or run the same defense that they've been running. And in some ways, that's a good thing. Maybe they'll be a little bit more attack, attack, attack. Um, and in other ways, the defense has been in the top – Five. I think like four of the last five years, or at least three out of the last four. So it's it's tough to mess with what works. But I the middle linebacker to me is a whole big bag of of I don't know. What do you think? You do you think they're gonna end up with one guy? Do you think they're gonna to try to platoon it?
1: Well first I wanna say that like I, I agree about Dorian Williams being undersized. That's funny that everyone was, you know, giving you blowback for that. I don't know if it's because he, he right now is the crowd favorite to take over that Mike spot based on a poll I did on Twitter. It had like 400 votes or something mm-hmm. like that. And he was, I mean, just barely, just barely ahead of Tyrell Dodson and uh, Terrell Bernard. Um, but, I mean, I, I didn't hear you mention Terrell Bernard necessarily, specifically. Like, do you think that he might be part of that, or is he strictly just backing up Matt Milano at this point?
2: I, that's a good question, and I think he's going to end up a part of it. But he's another guy. I mean, all of the reports that you read, it's like this guy is a Will linebacker at the next level, and they said it about Williams too. This guy is a Will linebacker at the next level, and then okay, so now we've got three Wills. But I mean, who won't? Like, <laughs> you know, we need someone in the middle Perfect there. Perfect dad joke. So, Perfect hey, dad joke. <laughs> hey man, I'm here all day. Try the deal. But it, there, we need one of them to step up and do. Something And I I swear to you, and this is going to sound insane, and I promise you that I'm not trying to party like it's 1991, I, I would not be surprised if A.J. Klein ends up playing meaningful defensive snaps because of how well he knows McDermott's defense and because he has experience playing as a strong side guy, as a middle guy, and as a weak side guy. He's been able to do all of it. So I, there's a lot of people who have been like, "Yeah, Klein is like the first cut for me at a linebacking crew." I don't think so. I think Klein it might be no. the most important one because he can do all of it, and he's good on special teams. And there was a game. I think it was the Detroit game last year. He was all over the field. Guy had like ten tackles, three pass breakups. It was like, oh my god. Like, that's A.J. Klein's music. Like, the guy never stopped motoring, and he came out of literally nowhere to do it. So I, there's part of me, like, I'd love to see Williams, Dorian Williams, win the job. I'd love to see Terrell Bernard win it. But Bernard played in that Jets game where Buffalo lost, and he, he I mean, he had nine, eight or nine tackles, but there were a lot of times in pass coverage that he looked lost out there so i i don't know how comfortable i feel with him being the guy next to milano i i don't know i don't i don't know what we're gonna get here
1: i thought it was interesting the fact that it, it felt like they kind of punted on the position in the draft and free agency yep. and they were just like you know this is just one you just can't you can't get them all you yeah. know what i mean like uh but it is going to be a lot of it's going to be very interesting to see the season how they do it and i think they might platoon it just like you said so this is this is my thought on it so let me know what you think is um uh, it's funny that you say that thing about the sizes because i literally when we do when we were doing this episode um recently i was looking at all the sizes between tyrell dodson uh AJ Klein, um, Tyrell Bernard, Dorian Williams—like they're all within that like six foot to six foot one range, roughly, yep. and they're all between like two twenty to two thirty, you know, weight wise. Like they're all almost the same exact body type. Yep. For some reason, I thought Tyrell Dotson was bigger. He's not. He's not any no. bigger. Um, so, like if if there wasn't for AJ Klein in that Detroit game, I'd be like Tyrell Dotson. He was the first one to come off the bench when Tremaine Edmonds was injured. He's going to be the starter. But the fact that they signed AJ Klein and as soon as they did, they made him the backup when Tremaine Edmonds went out. Yep. Now I'm like, well, he's there's a reason why they brought him because they didn't like what they saw in Tyrell Dodson. Like you don't do that if you love what you have in front of you. Right. You know? Right. Um, and I thought AJ Klein was super old. He's 31. Yeah. <laughs> that's I... <laughs> that's perfectly fine age for for a middle linebacker. You know, like that's not. That's not ridiculous. No, it, um, it is
2: funny sometimes when I look at these guys and I'm like, "Damn, that guy's been around forever." What's he like, 37? And I'm like, "Oh my God, he's 29." <laughs> look, I'm 37. <laughs> this guy is like 10 <laughs> years older than me. or <laughs> younger than me. Jesus.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I know. That's that's funny. That we could do a whole episode about feeling old <sighs> compared to the guys on the team. But
2: I feel old every time I write one of their birthdays <laughs> on this thing. It's like guy is 25 and he turns 26. Or, like, he was born in 1999, and I'm like, I have vivid <laughs> memories of 1999. <1999." laughs> it feels
1: like it was five years ago. Yeah. It's just, huh? uh, it was – yeah, I know. I know what you mean. It's So, like, I'm leaning Klein over Dodson just for the fact that, like, like what I just said, Terrell Bernard is an interesting um, name because uh, I think – because he has a year more in the system than Dorian Williams – the problem is, even though they're roughly the same size, like he doesn't have any experience playing middle linebacker. Right. They didn't put him in last season at middle linebacker at any point, so he doesn't understand any of the calls whatsoever. I mean, well, he understands them maybe, but he's not ready to make them. Right. So I, I liked what you said earlier because maybe they do change that. Maybe all of a sudden it's Matt Milano, the guy that you know is going to be on the field every single play. Right, or maybe, like maybe let, he,
2: let Poyer make the calls. Oh
1: yeah. yeah, you know, like yeah. let
2: one of the safeties do it. Let the, one of those guys who definitely is it. I mean, for me, it would be Poyer if if mm-hmm. you're going to have somebody make the the defensive calls. But I don't know that they did that last year. I think that they let Dodson make the calls. They
1: did. Generally, yeah, I, I think, it's a linebacker. I, I think you're right. So Terrell Bernard had never even played middle linebacker in college. He was always weak side linebacker yep. there too. So like that's Matt Milano clone. Like that's that's as close as you can get. Right. Um Dorian Williams, however, did also play the Mike linebacker yes. in Tulane. So like he has the inside track, but you and I both know that McDermott hates starting rookies um unless they're a first or second round player, right? So yeah, I can't there's think not think a good a late, track record yeah, of that.
2: I can't think of a late round guy who has even
1: even when it's obvious, Matt Milano took halfway through the season his rookie season. Yep. And it was obvious he was so much better than Ramon Umber. The oh, Bills Ramon didn't want to start Humber. him. Man, yeah. that's a
2: throwback. That's a throwback. Yeah, oh, wow. talking about feeling old. Yeah, jeez. Wonder what um, that guy's doing now, man. Yeah, that was yeah, Milano's. A, that was his first draft, right? That was a 2017 pick. Was that yeah, was Milano. McDermott's
1: first draft? It was yep. Milano. Yep, and it was an amazing pick. Uh, again, but like, it took. A, I believe I checked out. I did this research a few years ago. It was like to week nine, I want to say, until he actually was the starter and got most of the reps. He was getting sprinkled in here and there. Maybe they were testing him out. So I don't think Dorian Williams walks away with it. I think at this point, though, he is the long-term answer to that position. Um and I'm excited for him because I, I, I like what he brings because like you said, like one of his big biggest knocks is he you know, he can't shed blocks. It's like, Well, we've seen that before. Right. It's so funny you said that. I literally just said that on that podcast last week. It's like, Well, this this sounds familiar. <laughs> he just the only difference is he isn't six foot four, two hundred and fifty pounds like right. Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah,
2: he's not built but, like a condor.
1: But the ability to play downhill, which Tremaine Edmonds didn't necessarily have, right. Dorian Williams does have which I love, you know, they, they, they seem to value that a lot more. If you look at Terrell Bernard, he was like that when he came out of the draft for Baylor. And so is Dorian Williams. I mean, they like guys that are like that, but then, but not only are they like downhill linebackers, but they also have really good coverage skills. Both of those guys do. Yes. Well, Williams
2: is, is an absurdly good athlete too. I mean, his, his bench press his his sprint numbers, all of that, his agility, like the, the guy is a, a physical specimen in that regard. He's just not a – he's just not huge. He's going to – he could get swallowed up by these, you know, 330-pound guards in there if he doesn't. I think there was only like one scouting report where where I read – and I can't remember which one – which guy it was. But they said for like all the athleticism, they were a little disappointed – in his instincts where it like looked like sometimes he was a little bit hesitant to hit holes. And that's where I hope that this, this shift in defensive play callers uh, where maybe McDermott goes back to Jim Johnson school and is coming in just saying, you know what? I'm only giving you two keys to look at either the quarterback has the ball or he doesn't. And you go kill somebody. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, like don't give him too much. To think about, just let the guy eat, let the guy do the things that he can do athletically, rather than trying to think about thirty-seven different things on the way. So I, I hope that they limit it for him, so that that athleticism can can shine through. But like, I'm I'm not anti undersized linebackers here, people. Like I, I wrote a whole piece about Milano when my man was a rookie, saying hey. Let's integrate this guy. I don't care that he's little. He could be like their Shaq Thompson. He could be their their Dime, their their passing down linebacker here. I the size at the end of the day, it's not what is it? The the cliche is it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog, right? Yeah. So that's I mean if the guy's got it, then then let him get it. But I there's some concern for me where it's like when it's it's a fairly unanimous thing in the scouting community where they're like, "Okay, this guy doesn't really shed blocks, and I think it's because he's a little bit small.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to say that, like, you weren't saying that he doesn't have the ability to, but, like, you know, he's, he's already fighting an uphill battle. Yeah. It's not going to get any easier in the NFL to do that. So I think, that's a fair, I think that's a fair comp. So so what's interesting is, you know, you talked about him potentially being undersized compared to the draft community. I mean, one of the best middle linebackers in the NFL right now is Darius Leonard from the Indianapolis Colts, right? Yep. Darius Leonard is six foot two, two hundred and twenty nine pounds. Yeah,
2: he's not a he's not quote unquote huge. Exactly.
1: Dorian Williams is six foot one, two hundred twenty eight pounds. Yeah. so he's one inch less and one pound less. Yeah,
2: like right. So it's so like,
1: you can have success yeah. if the guys up front keep you clean. You can mm. have success.
2: Thank you, and that like, well, you want to talk? You are the master of segues, my man, because that like. The defensive tackles are the key to the whole darn thing. And if you look at Buffalo defensively last year, I would wager, I would say that they played really well in almost every game. And what's the one game where it looked like, ugh, they really just didn't play well? Cincinnati, when they got knocked out. And who wasn't in that game? Daquan Jones. Daquan Jones, Jones, That's it. That guy is the entire key to the whole damn thing. Because if you don't have that space eater, they literally played Eli Anku in a playoff game, okay? Like, love the guy, hard worker, great dude to have on your practice squad. Why is that man playing quality snaps in the divisional round? Because they didn't have another dude to anchor the line, which is why they had to go out and get Puna Ford and... Now they are in a better spot. So those defensive tackles between Jones and Ford and Oliver and if Jordan Phillips, I mean, how many Jordan Phillips is like when Bill Simmons used to talk about Matthew Stafford and he literally called him Matthew Stafford. If he can stay healthy, it's like (laughs) this is now Jordan, Jordan Phillips. If he can stay healthy, it's like if those four guys plus Tim Settle is a fifth, can they keep five defensive tackles? Does this roster have room for that? But like, that's five legit guys who can really do some work to keep their linebackers clean. So, so yeah, that is, you are a hundred percent, I'm with you on that, man. Like if the big dudes up front can go ahead and keep those guys behind them clean, then I don't care if they're, you know, Taron Johnson is a good tackler at, at five, whatever he is and 178 pounds soaking wet. So like, he might be like 190. I don't want to insult what he does in the weight room. But the uh, like those guys are not huge dudes either. And if you can keep them clean, they're going to make plays.
1: Yep, exactly. It's going to be interesting to see. You know, we were talking about middle linebacker, and my, my co-host was like, well, maybe they go 4-3 this year. Maybe they play more three linebacker sets. I'm like, then you got to take Taron Johnson yeah. off the – off the field, which I'm glad you mentioned him because he's one of the best cornerbacks. So why would you try to do that right. for like, you know, an under, you don't have enough line deck or depth to begin with. You definitely don't want to put like a, like a Tyrell Dotson on the field just so he can take off, you know, uh, Taryn Johnson. So, so we, we kind of came to the conclusion that they're still going to run nickel. We're just, we're just, you know, going back and forth. I think what they're going to do is they're going to start Klein. If I had to guess Klein for rundowns and then obvious pass downs, they bring in Bernard. Um, if, if which is kind of a weird way. I think that they rotate in their middle linebacker like they rotate in their defensive tackles based on what they think is happening. So we'll see. Yeah, We'll see. But like, go ahead.
2: No, I, I could see them doing a little bit of that. And that would help them to, I think it would help Williams too, to like come along a little bit too, not to give him all of the crazy responsibilities. Like if it's a, you know, first and goal at the eight yard line, okay, play Klein. Yeah, you know, at that point and at that point you could go to a four three. You could go to a bare front there. You could go to something a little bit heavier. Um but but Taren Johnson for the last bunch of years has arguably he's been C B three in name only, really, is that nickel guy. He's been their second best corner all throughout. I mean, you needed to look no further than the, the thirteen seconds game. Who did they have playing man to man on Tyreek Hill in that game? Was it
1: Levi was it Levi Wall no, or D. Jackson? It was
2: Taron Johnson. They, oh, yeah, Johnson. They, oh, really? they had Taron Johnson on him because they thought that was the guy who could keep up with him. I mean and you know Levi Wallace couldn't have I mean god bless that guy he's a he's a great zone corner he can't Tyreek Hill would have looked at him and just been like bye see you later I mean and I mm-hmm. I I like Dane Jackson a lot more than the next guy okay whenever we get to talk about the corners maybe I'll I'll make my impassioned argument for keeping Dane Jackson around but they, they did. Well, they, they had Johnson at that point on him. And that guy, you, you can't take him off the field for an inferior linebacker just because that guy is is a bigger person. Not in the modern NFL, not, not at this point. He's got to be the dude that's out there.
0: Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team.
1: No and, and I want to get to defensive tackle in a little bit because you mentioned Puna Ford and Daquan Jones, but you mentioned cornerback, like this is this is a big battle at cornerback two, but it's also a good thing because this is the best depth that we've ever had, Sean. Like I mean at, I at quarterback two. Like I mean you have two guys that aren't rookies anymore, but you have a Kair Elam who has first round pedigree but really started to put things Together, the second half of last yep. season, Christian Benford, a guy that we didn't think was going to start as a six round rookie, finds his way into the starting role. Uh, we also have Dane Jackson, who's a seasoned veteran. Maybe not the athletic upside of the other two, but at the same time, like he's a solid. He's a solid cornerback too. Yeah. Not many players have two or not many teams have two Tre'Davious Whites as their you know first two corners. So uh, when you look at this role, I mean, immediately out of the gate, people were thinking Kyrie Elam, but the comments from um, Sean McDermott, don't make it sound at all like he's being given the job, um, which is kind of surprising a little bit, I guess, um, seeing as how that they drafted him in the first round <laughs> and he ended up starting towards the end of the season yeah. in the playoffs. Um, what do you think about that? That I mean, it's a good problem to have. It's a great, you know. Problem what do you think about have. that? Yeah, great problem, right? What do you think about that position um, in general? And uh, and do, do you can you kind of foresee what's going to shake out there?
2: Yeah, I. It's funny because you said that it's the best depth that they've had, and I 100% agree with you, and I have been writing it in every corner 90 and 90 that I've, I've written. Like, the Bills have built a tremendous amount of cornerback depth here, and I literally am just saying the same thing over and over again. And I want to say it was somewhere like ESPN was like, the Bills could really use depth in the secondary. They don't have a lot of depth in the secondary. And I'm like, am I allowed to say bad words on this one? Can I do that? No, I she, won't yeah, do no, it. She'll I, she'll just take, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, motherfucker, what are you guys talking about? Like, <laughs> look at what they have. They have Tredavious White. Okay. So he came off an ACL injury and didn't look like Tredavious White towards the second half of last year. The guy was still good. And, and okay. So, like, I think some there's some bad taste in our mouth a little bit because in the Cincinnati game that ultimately was was canceled when, when Tamar Hamlin was injured – um, they Cincinnati just attacked him. They went right after him. And they were like, okay, you're going to put him on Jamar Chase? Good. We're just going to go at him. And they exposed him a little bit. And I, I think that White, I can't see White coming back and not being angry this year. I can't see him coming back and not being great this year. And then across from him to have Elam, who looks like to me physically, he could be as good, if not better, than White and Benford, who was shockingly complete last year, um, and to have Jackson, who's a, he's scrappy. He he goes and he's good in bump coverages, even though he's undersized. Like he loves to get in people's faces and get physical with them at the line. So they have four outside corners who could start on other teams, on plenty of other teams. And they've got Taron Johnson. So they've, they've got five guys really to fill those three spots. Um, as for the CB2, I, I have a funny feeling that it might be like a game plan dependent kind of deal where if you know that you're playing a Miami, for example, and you need to have somebody who can go ahead and, and get in Jalen Waddle's face and bump him and stick him one on one. You play Kyrie Elam more that day, and then you have like when you do like the maybe man under with a zone roll on the other side, the other side has Trey and uh, and Taron Johnson bracketing Tyreek Hill with the safety help over top. And maybe again, when you've got Cincinnati, you go ahead and, and you play Kyrie Elam on somebody like, I mean. Trey has struggled with bigger guys in the past, so it's it's tough to say, all right, we're going to play Trey on T Higgins. But like I, I think you play Elam on Jamar Chase just because you can let him run with him. But if you've got some other teams where you don't necessarily have to go with that man heavy or that real bump, Benford is a great guy to have out there. I, I could foresee a scenario where if there's 60 defensive snaps in a game, White's playing 50 of them. Elam's playing 40 of them and and you know, Benford is playing 35 of them, you know, where, where they go ahead and do that. There's also this this longstanding rumor in the fandom that Benford is eventually going to slot over and, and be a safety. And I obviously he's not going to do that this year, but perhaps you start to cross train him. and then and here's a question for you too. Is it worth it to cross train him? Perhaps is like Micah Hyde's backup, for example, to be to be like the backup free safety um, while you're also playing the guy as a, a CB2A or a CB2B.
1: Well, here's the question. Is Taylor Rapp – is he Jordan Poyer's first replacement?
2: I think so. Taylor Rapp. Because okay. Rapp to me – and and I don't know much more than what I've been able to read on him. He looks like – he looks to me like he's better – he'd almost be like a better in-the-box kind of safety where he's just going and hitting people. And coverage last year, he seemed to really struggle. And I don't know what kind of defense the Rams ran. I didn't study them enough. But it, it, for a guy with a second-round pedigree and all the tackles that he made and, and to just them let him walk feels weird. So I know that there are a lot – there's a lot of people who are, are a lot smarter than me who are way happier than I am about the signing. Like I'm cautiously optimistic about him and I think he might uh, – he, he makes it so that DeMar Hamlin doesn't necessarily have to be the first guy in. You can kind of look at him and be like, you OK, man? You doing good? Mm-hmm. You feeling good? And like I know I'm I'm terrified to watch Hamlin play again and I, I know that Me he's I, I hope that he's gonna be fine and I'm I'm sure he is gonna be fine. But like like I was saying to you before we started rolling, I'm anxious as hell to begin with. So like the thought of of watching him after what happened to him again, that it's just it 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 is legitimately terrifying. To me.
1: That first hit is gonna is gonna Ugh. be really, really scary. But once he gets through that first yep. one, you might not think about it ever again. Yep. I hope so.
2: I hope so. Yeah, because that's that's not something I ever want to I mean it was a about. one in
1: a million yes. you know, sort of thing. I, I i I say this, I'm as anxious as you are, so I'm trying to like talk myself down too yeah. like along with you, is that you know, I remember one of our listeners is uh is is in um cardiac uh He's a cardiac physician. Okay. And the night that it happened, he's messaging me, and I'm like, you know, Mark, like, what's what's going on? Like, is this? And he's like, if they get the AED to him, and he knew exactly what it was. Like at that moment, he's like, it's commotio cardiac or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, where it's like a one in a million chance that you hit it in you hit him right in the one spot at the right time. You know, during the heartbeat that right. caused that. He's like, if he gets the AED in time. And he survives, he'll be absolutely fine. And, you know, for the first few days, we didn't know if he's going to live. Right. And now that we do, like, I keep on thinking, I keep on going back to that. I'm like, this is a guy who's seen this before. Yep. This is a guy who's much smarter than you or I or whatever, yes. is just has much more experience. Um, so, like, sh- could it happen again? Like, what's, what's, are you going to, you know, lightning going to strike twice? Like, potentially, the good thing is that we know we have the trainers out there that are ready to handle it too. But, um, it, 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 I, I try to tell myself that because I, I'm worried that, you know, and we just saw the SBs where, you know, he came out and did that amazing speech and um, the narration, um, which I shared on social media if you guys haven't seen it yet. I, yeah, it got, and,
2: got a little dusty when I was, I don't know, something yeah. happened. I think that somebody might have been cooking <laughs> or cutting onions while I was watching. <laughs> yeah, that. yeah,
1: the seasonal yeah. allergies got pretty crazy Ooh. right about that. but
2: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, sidebar, because I'm a, I'm a Bills fan and I'm a White Sox fan. So what, like the whole of the ESPYs between Tamar Hamlin and Liam Hendricks with, with his battle with, with stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma too. And like to have watched both of those, I mean, I'm sitting there and I was, I was like a puddle, man. It it was getting tough for me to watch both of
1: those. I bet. That's a, that's incredible. I mean, those, those stories, like one of the reasons I love sports is the fact that like, and I, I'd feel this way, even if it wasn't a Bills player, but it means that much more to us is it's just like such a great story. Like Damar Hamlin, like coming back from that, like you can just tell there are certain people out there, they're just good people, yes. right? and Demar is absolutely one of those people and not for nothing like i don't know if you're cynical like i am Sean but like those people usually don't make it you know like when the bad things happen to them like <laughs> yep, they they're just like you you end up talking about him in a eulogy be like they didn't deserve this they were yeah. so much better like you know and he's one of those guys and he made it mm-hmm. though that's mm-hmm. the beautiful thing like we all kind of feel like this could have gone such a different way and we're so thankful it didn't it's just yeah i i know what you mean man i'm i'm like i i don't know i'm getting kind of you know little a little for Clem, just thinking about it I right know. like but well um, yeah
2: so so to have a good kid like him who's a hard worker and you got a guy like rap who's a good veteran and then you got Benford and you have this whole like slew of guys in the back end there it's it's a deep deep group with a truly great set coach of secondary in and McDermott has proven throughout his time here that he's going to find guys that other people undervalue and he's going to get the most out of them and they're going to play well here. Mm -hmm. I mean, nobody thought Jordan Poyer was Jordan Poyer when Jordan Poyer signed with Buffalo. He was just, you know, some guy who was coming off an injury from the Browns. And I remember there were people that were like, why the hell did we sign a guy from Cleveland? Like, what is this? And then there were some people who are the sages that were like, no, 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 no. This guy's actually pretty talented. He was just, you know, playing in Cleveland. Just watch. And, and it's, it's worked out here where whatever they decide in the defensive backfield, that's one of those positions where I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Like whoever ends up starting there, I'm going to go, yep, he deserves it. He's the guy who belongs there. And, and that's, there are some other ones that I don't necessarily feel that way with them. Um, I think that uh, receiver is, is one of them. But the uh, the defensive backfield, when, when they make a decision, whether it ends up Elam or, or Benford, whether Rapp is the first guy off the bench or Hamlin, um, I, I think that it's, it's a group that you can look at and go, I, I honestly, I'm trying to think of a time where Buffalo's had a better defensive secondary group in my lifetime. And I don't think that time exists.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, depth wise, I mean, you're mentioning like the Bills have their starting safety duo back again in Poyer and Hyde. Yep. And they have the best depth that they've ever had with Taylor Rapp coming off the bench for Jordan Poyer. And I love the idea of what you said because the cornerback depth is so good. I would love to train, cross train um, Christian Benford also, not only as in the CB2 role, but like also, you know, for the safety role because. You know, he just doesn't have the same athleticism that Kair Elam does. So that kind of gets you a little bit closer to what maybe you would hope for in your safety. So, um, you know, if you think about DeMar Hamlin, I mean, he came off when Micah Hyde was there. And, you know, we just mentioned DeMar Hamlin. Uh, When he was in there, it's not a knock on him. He wasn't the best, you know, safety or coverage safety. Like he just wasn't. And not that he can't get better this season, but he just hasn't proven that he is. And like you mentioned, Taylor Rapp, more of the Jordan Poyer, you know, backup. So you still don't really have a true Micah Hyde backup. So that maybe maybe that's where you enter Christian Benford to that equation as a long-term of that position or at least decent depth. Yeah, yeah
2: and I, I think that one of the things that they missed last year was just Hyde's ability to play center field. Because this team doesn't give up long passes when when Hyde is on the field, they just don't. The guy takes great angles. I mean, the the interception of that you know wounded duck that Mac Jones threw in the in the wild card game a couple of years ago was still it's one of the best plays I've ever seen in my life. Like he literally he came from Tonawanda and just like laid out and freaking <laughs> caught the thing. So I, I it's it's crazy how how much. That guy matters because I think safety, kind of like offensive guard, is one of those positions traditionally that's been like, eh, we'll just put somebody who's not athletic enough to play corner or we'll just put somebody who's not athletic enough to play tackle there. But the way that the game is developing, like you better have somebody legit back there. Otherwise, you're going to get torched and and hide. They, they missed him a lot. Last year, because there were a few, that week three game, the, in the, in the sweat box in Miami is, is the one that comes to mind because there were a couple of big balls that, that Tua hit on that there is no chance that he completes those passes if Hyde is on the field. It just isn't. Or if, you know, any of Buffalo's players aren't suffering from heat stroke and, and various other injuries, because that was the one We forget that Dane Jackson was taken off in an ambulance last year in week two and like because of Hamlin being taken off in an ambulance in in week 17 or week – was it week 17? Am I right? Is that it was the 16th game or whatever? It was close, something like that. Yeah,
1: it was. It was like weeks. Yeah, it was. It wasn't week seven. It might have been a week 16, 17. I think it might have been week
2: seven. This extra game, it was another week after that. The extra damn game throws me off now because I I'm know. used to saying week 15 for it or week 16 to be the end. But I, th- yeah, yeah. So and because one was more severe than the other, I mean, the Bills had two dudes suffer pretty bad neck injuries. That they, they had a guy whose heart stopped on the field. And they still were able to persevere through so much of it, which this has nothing to do with what we've been talking about, but it's why I laugh so hard when people come up to me and they go, Hey, what do you think? Are the bills shot this year? I mean, I don't know. They, they were disappointing last year. I go, disappointing. They won 13 games and they lost three times by a combined eight points. What the hell is disappointing about that? My cousins are all Jet fans, which I mean, I should disown them just for that. But my one, <laughs> yeah. the one cousin looks at me, he goes, are you? What do you think? You afraid of the Jets? And I just laughed at him. And He was like, "What do you mean? What, what are you laughing at?" I'm like, "Why? What? I mean, Rogers is going to go like do some shrooms and like meditate for a minute, and then uh, he'll get sacked six times, and it'll it'll be exactly what happened when Brett Favre was there. Like nothing's going to go. It's it's the Jets. You should know better than this. Come on, man. <laughs>
1: you know, I I'm so glad you you brought up. So it was weak um 16 by the way okay so that's that's what it was so week 16 out of you know what a 19 week season or 18 week season right so it was week 16 um i just checked that out um thank you all for listening uh, to part one of the training camp preview with sean murphy buffalo rumbling staff writer be sure to check out our monday podcast where we talked about all those items I mentioned earlier. And be sure to check out the Twin Spire Sportsbook at Delago, at the Delago Resort and Casino, right off Route 90, the Thruway, at Exit 41. So for me, Nate, go Bills, and we'll talk to you guys again tomorrow. <music>